Exodus 19 and at verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever, and so on. In this passage of Scripture, we have one of the most notable places in the whole of the Bible about God meeting with people. God meeting with his people. There is set out for us here something that we do not see happen, happening year after year. There are many things that are set out in the Bible that do not happen repeatedly. They happened but once, or they happened only a few times. And that is because it is sufficient that they happened but once, and that God is caused to be placed in his infallible word, the record of these things, that they should be a testimony to us. And there is sufficient teaching there that if we attend to these words and carefully receive them, and if the Holy Spirit will bless our hearing and give us uh, a saving understanding of these things, we profit as greatly by these things, or indeed more so, than the people who originally witnessed them. There are many who have read only and not seen the the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ walking in his incarnate state upon this earth in the days of his ministry. But they have profited far more than those who saw the Lord Jesus and heard his words and saw his miracles. There are many who have never seen a miracle performed by the Lord Jesus. None in this generation has seen Christ walking upon this earth and breaking the bread and dividing it so that it was multiplied sufficiently to feed thousands of people. And yet, those who are God's believing people, they have read in the Holy Scriptures of that miracle and received more profit from it than those who saw it performed and yet did not trust savingly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with many, many other things. We, did not, we are not witnesses of the resurrection but the apostles are given to us as witnesses of the resurrection and their witness and testimony, their proclamation is sufficient for our need. Much as in Jesus' uh, story about the rich man and Lazarus and how Abraham had to say to the rich man, if uh, a man should come back from the dead to warn your brothers of what there is in... Uh, in, uh, in the judgment and in uh, damnation after death, then, then if your brothers will not hear Moses and the prophets, even someone returning from the dead will not convince them. Because, you see, that which we need for testimony and for instruction is not something startling like a miracle, something startling like uh, a man returning from the dead, what we need is for the Holy Spirit to bless the word of his truth so that we receive this, this word with a belief of the truth and a trust in the God who is speaking in his word. And so we can look this night at this account that the Lord has given about his meeting with the people at Mount Sinai and indeed it is a demonstration of his majesty and of his holiness and uh, about what it means to come into his presence and how we are to approach him 
and we can learn more from this ourselves if the Holy Spirit bless us with uh, a discernment and perception of the things of God than many who stood there at the mount, but who only revealed their folly that day and who only revealed their folly some days later in the making of the golden calf. Now, what the Lord does here is he appears with, with sounds, with, with visible phenomena that were meant to make an impression upon the people and to give instruction and teaching to them. And we profit also from it as we attend to the written record and narrative of it. So here in this passage we have very important teaching about how we are to approach into the presence of God, what it means to approach God in prayer or in worship, to draw near to God and to call upon his name. And the first thing that we see is, in verse 9, that the Lord said that he would speak with a voice out of the midst of this, this appearance of a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with thee, Moses, and believe thee, Moses, forever. And what we have here is that God, when he comes in this very impressive way to, to, to give this visible appearance to his presence, he comes to instruct the people to impress upon them that they are to listen to his messengers. What he does here is to accredit Moses as his messenger. What he does here is to, to assure the people that this Moses, who comes up alone into the, into the mount and who converses with God and who receives words from God, that this Moses is speaking the very truth of God, that the words he brings are words put in his mouth by the living and true God, that they are a revelation from heaven, that they disclose the very heart and mind and will of God. And this is foundational for all the biblical teaching about how to approach into the presence of God, that we must come and receive his word of truth given us by revelation through his messengers, Moses and the prophets, Christ and the apostles set forth now in written form, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit's direction and supervision in the pages of the Holy Scriptures. That word written, that word spoken, those words in human language so that we can, we can grasp them with our minds, we can reflect upon them, we can speak them to one another. Those words God has taken and God has formed them in his providence so that those words are sufficient and adequate and uh, full of meaning to convey the purpose and the thoughts of his mind and of his heart. And this is how we come into the presence of God. This is how we know the presence of God. This is how we can recognize the presence of God. 
when we come as he instructs us out of his word, when we hear the message that he has given to us by revelation of his truth, and when we say we will call upon his name, we will pray unto God, and we will conceive of what God is like upon whom we call, or we will offer to him this or that in worship, or we will come before him and we will say, this is the way in which I have pardon of sin and acceptance before him. In all these things, we must be guided by the teaching of his word. There is not approach unto God except through his instruction and his guidance. How great is the folly of, of, of the human heart. The scriptures are full of it. We have in a few chapters the record of how the people, having been instructed that they were not to make unto them any graven image, yet nevertheless, in, in, in defiance of the, the plain teaching of God, they make a golden calf. They make a calf. And Aaron says, These, Israel, are thy gods which have brought thee out of Egypt. This calf, this golden, lifeless image that you have just made a few few hours ago. This is your God. This is Jehovah God. And you see, we must be instructed from the Word of God about how to approach into His presence. When we have any sensation of the presence of God, when we have any teaching that is set before us and we, we are told, this is what God is like and this is how God may be approached, then we ask that messenger. We ask that sensation. We ask that feeling. We ask, what spirit are you? Are you the spirit of, of God? Are you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth? If so, then all that you tell me, it, is in accord it will be in accordance with the written word of God. And the written word of God is given to us as that permanent deposit of truth by which we may test every spirit, every messenger, every doctrine, every teaching. And then we may know that we approach the true God and not a false God. Then we may know that we have pardon and forgiveness of sins. Then we know that the mediation of the Lord Jesus is sufficient that we may come with boldness into the presence of God. Then we may know, yes, this which I offer to God in worship and in praise in the life of the church, this is acceptable to God. He will receive this worship because he's commanded it, because he's instructed us concerning it. Moses accredited his, was accredited by the Lord to be his messenger. Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud in this impressive phenomena that the people may hear my voice when I speak with thee and believe thee forever, knowing that what Moses henceforth would speak to them, it was from God. But then also we find set out in this passage that people are to prepare themselves to come and approach unto God. 
The Lord said unto Moses, verse 10, Go unto the people and sanctify them. Set them apart. Have them prepare themselves. Have them, have them uh, purify themselves. Sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready, prepared against the third day. For the third day, after this interlude, this waiting period for the people to attend to this, this first, this present, this, this, and this, this, this duty of, of, uh, of uh, preparation, then the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And Moses went down, and we read in verse 14 and in verse 15 that he, he guided them and instructed them as to how they were to prepare themselves. And, of course, the ceremonies, the, uh, the uh, uh, abstaining from uh, their wives and uh, the washing of their clothing, this uh, preparation is, uh, these were, were, uh, were uh, rites and ceremonies that, that uh, are reflected in the, uh, in the law which then God proceeded to give to Moses at Mount Sinai, a part of the ritual cleansing, and all of that, that ceremonial uh, uh, cleanness, it has to do with, 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 the, uh, with the, 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 uh, the instruction of the people in the necessity that they have an inward purity of heart. They turn in repentance from their sins. That they, they loathe their iniquity. They give up their heart's attachment to sin. And they come with broken and contrite hearts, with an inward purity indeed, into the presence of God, to humble and abase themselves in confession of sin and seeking of his pardon, trembling in the presence of a holy God for their unholy deeds of the past. They're to prepare themselves. And you see, the the Lord instructs again and again here that the people are to, to engage in this preparation because they're not to come casually. They're not to come recklessly. They're not to come carelessly into the presence of God. And you see, later the Lord warns, uh, as in verse 21, that the people are not to break through unto the Lord to gaze. Why would they gaze? Why would they break through? Why would they try to come up the mountain and into the cloud and see more about the presence of God? Would it be out of love for God and desire to know Him? If it was that, they would obey His command to stay back and not draw nigh, but to listen to the message brought down from the mountain by Moses. It was not in the fear of God they would rush in and seek to gaze and find out all they could. It was out of a foolish, reckless, idle kind of curiosity. It wasn't that they wanted to know God so they might worship Him. It was out of a misguided foolishness like their making of the golden calf. And you see... They were not sober spiritually. They were thoughtless. They were heedless of the word of God. They came to worship God and to call upon his name 
not by means of listening to his word with an obedient spirit, with 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 a readiness of heart to to hear the voice of God and submit to it, not with reverence for God, but they came in this slipshod way, recklessly and carelessly, seeking to do what would satisfy their immediate idle curiosity. They did not know God, and they did not fear Him. Do you remember how Jesus dealt with those who came and said to Him, we would follow after you, and we would be your disciple? Remember how Jesus turned many away, and He questioned them as to whether they were actually ready to be his disciples, whether they actually understood what it meant to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And he said to them, he said to them, the birds of the air have their nests and the foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. One came and, and wanted to, to know how to enter the kingdom of heaven and, and the Lord Jesus uh, spoke with him and found that he did not understand that he was a violator of the Ten Commandments. The man thought that he had observed these well, and Jesus dealt with the man, and he said to him, knowing the man's heart was set in covetousness, he said to him, Go and sell everything that you have, and then come and follow me. And uh, uh, when he said, Go and and uh, give away all that you have to the poor and follow me. He dealt with with the man's unreadiness to come. He dealt with the man's carelessness. He dealt with the man to expose to the man that what the man had in the way of interest in worship or the kingdom of God or approach to God or acceptance with God was not was not contrition and not brokenness and not repentance. Instead, what he had was this kind of casual interest in which he hoped that that he could be in the presence of God and be a citizen of the kingdom of God and yet still be comfortable in his sins. Still be comfortable in living a life of attachment to the things of this world rather than devotion to the eternal God. And you remember how Jesus taught in parables and how we're told that the reason that he taught in parables was to hide things from people. He taught in these parables so that men only understood if they gave careful reflection to the, to the parabolic story it was like the man had to take the nut and crack it and take each one of the pieces of meat out of the nut. It required meditation. He couldn't go blithely along, carelessly, taking a superficial glance at these things and thinking then that, that he was a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God. But instead, he was... He was called upon to stop and reflect and to take to heart the message in the parable and to change his life on the basis of it. And we're told that the parables were spoken 
both so that those who would consider them carefully would profit deeply by by the by the by the carefulness that they were called to but also so that those who had no real and deep interest in the things of God's kingdom and approach to God that they would be left in their blindness and in their hardness now why did Jesus deal with people that way because Jesus will not have people to deal with his kingdom in a careless in a in a, a reckless manner and he will not have people to come and imagine that they can approach to God and know God and be servants of God and to be the children of God and yet be comfortable with the iniquity of their past life. What does that teach us about how we are to worship God? You know, sometimes we are led astray, are we not? There's great danger. We all feel the, 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 the tug of it. We desire to see the kingdom of God prosper. We desire to see the lost coming to know Christ. We desire to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ built up and strengthened. And our hearts yearn for this. And yet we begin to think, well, for the sake of missions and for the sake of enlarging the boundaries of the kingdom, we will remove that from the worship of God. We will remove that from the teaching of his word, which leaves the unbelievers uncomfortable. We will instead do those things that, that please their fancy, the things that they are accustomed to in the world, the things that they are acquainted with in the culture of our, of our society. And so if they are accustomed to see it in, uh, on the television or in the film, then, then we will give them something of that kind because then they will feel comfortable and it will be the bridge by which they will come into the presence of God and they will receive something from God and we will not talk to them about things that would be offensive to them if they do not like to hear about God, a sovereign Savior, God, a sovereign Lord, setting his particular love upon his people and passing others by. We will not speak of this matter. Or if they will be offended by us speaking about the sin that is in their life, we will not speak to them about these things. And there are truths that we will not talk about. We will not talk about God's fury and his wrath falling upon the wicked and destroying them in eternal punishment and everlasting torment. We won't talk about these things. But you see, our, is that faithful to the word of God? Is that faithful to the ministry of Christ and the apostles? Is that what God shows us here about approaching into his presence? We do not bring people to, to come carelessly and thoughtlessly as if they are coming for something that is just like all their experience of the world, as if they would be entertained and their fancy uh, tickled. No, when we talk to people, we declare the whole counsel of God. We declare all the majesty of God. 
We declare the holiness of God. We declare that which God says is wicked and sinful and which we cannot have and we cannot do. And we, and we, and we worship God as he's commanded us to do in the way that set forth his holiness and his majesty and the purity of his truth. And when we do that, oh, we yearn that, the, that, that, that sinners will be converted unto the Lord. But you see, it's all a great delusion in the first place, is it not, to think that, that if we accommodate to them to make them comfortable and, and, and do not challenge them about their sins or hide some parts of divine truth, that then they will be converted because they won't be offended. Isn't that a great delusion? Because nobody is ever converted except by the sovereign grace of God. And God uses the truth to convert sinners. He uses the, the confrontation of His Word, exposing sin and call, calling to repentance. And He uses the declaration of His sovereign love and grace and man's helplessness and his entire dependence upon God. He uses all his precious truths. And you see, when the Lord here specifies to Moses that the people are to prepare themselves, he's telling them that they are to come with this inward purity, with this repentance, with this loathing of sin. They are to come with this careful reflection, with this this solemnity and this sobriety into the presence of God to give praise to Him. And is this not what conversion is? Conversion and salvation is not just that the person says a few lip words of, 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 uh, of, of uh, taking Christ as a Savior, but conversion and salvation is a matter of the sinner coming out of all of his carelessness and all of his flippancy and all of his indifference to the things of God and coming to worship and reverence God, to bow down in his presence, confessing his sins with conviction of sin, with contrition for his sin, and asking for God in all of his holiness to deal with us in mercy. You see, when a sinner truly comes to God, he doesn't come to some half-God. He doesn't come to some half-truth of the Christian religion. He comes to the living and the true God and the whole glory of who he is. And he loves that God. He loves the God of holiness. He loves a God who hates sexual immorality and he loves a God who hates lying and he loves a God who hates all the sins that are identified in the Ten Commandments and the sinner has come to adore that God he's drawn to that God he believes that God to be beautiful he is, he is attracted to that God in all the majesty of his holiness and of his mercy and he doesn't come before God and say and say well I want to be comfortable with some of my sins while I'm in your presence no 
that's not preparing to come into the presence of God. And that's not what approaching into the presence of God is all about. God requires that the people be not careless, but they be prepared as they come into his presence. And then they are told, we see, that they are not to approach Mount Sinai. Verse 12, God says to Moses, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the mount border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Now, what is the purpose of this? Do you remember how when Moses had seen the burning bush, it was on this very Mount Sinai, and what was the first thing that God said to him? He said, Take off thy shoes from off thy feet, for this is holy ground on which you stand. And what we have set out here is that as God descends upon this mountain to meet here with Moses and give commandment to the people, it is a holy place. Now, it is holy place not because there's something magical about the rocks and the dust of that place. It's a holy place because there's a holy God. There's a sin-hating God. There's a righteous, loving God. There's a God who has rectitude and integrity in his character and who will judge all the universe at the day of judgment with, with perfect justice and equity. A God who is the moral governor of the universe is descending upon this mountain and he has made these men and women in his image and likeness and they are to, to be like him in righteousness and holiness and and if they are not such then 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 they will be consumed and destroyed in his presence you see the warning that he gives in verse 21 charge the people lest they break through these boundaries to come unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish and let the priests also those who are the mediators and who, who come with the sacrifices, the blood of atonement to propitiate the, ang the wrath of God and to turn away his anger from his people's sins. Let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, and let them sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And again in verse 24, lest he break forth upon them. What is this, lest God break forth upon them? Well, is it not what we have in verse 21? Lest they break through unto the Lord the gaze, and many of them perish. How will they perish? By God breaking forth upon them. Do you remember Nadab and Abihu, who did not worship God in the manner that he had prescribed and commanded, and fire came down from heaven and, and, and killed them? And how there are the other instances set forth in Scripture of those who perished when they approached God in a way contrary to what he had commanded. This is a record for all time in the, old, in the, the narrative of the, the, uh, the Holy Scriptures. 
Well, what we have before us here is this solemn warning that there is a holiness in God which if we approach unto it and we approach unto his holiness and, and we have no mediation, we have no sacrifice, and we, and we approach him uh, breaking through the boundaries that he has, he has set for us, the commandments of his word, there's a consuming fire of his presence. And, and that command not to approach to the mount, it is much like, is it not, the veil that was soon to be hung in the tabernacle between the holy place and the most holy place. That veil of intimidation, that veil that said that no one except the high priest, and he only one day in the year, the day of atonement, could go beyond that veil into the presence of God, to the ark of the covenant, to the mercy seat on top of the ark, and sprinkle there the blood as had been commanded in the legislation given to Moses. If anyone else would approach that veil, they were cast out by this 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 barrier that said there is not access into the presence of God. There is not approach here because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And the, and the veil was simply, simply a symbol of what was true in the relationship between a holy God and, a sin, and sinful men. That veil that was torn from top to bottom when Christ died making atonement for sin and giving access and approach into the presence of God. You see, the holiness of God is a dangerous thing. Oh, the holiness of God is the reason that there is a hell. The holiness of God is the reason that Christ was forsaken by his Father and why he bore the wrath of God and in Paul's language was made a curse for us. How was the, the only begotten Son of God made a curse? The Holy God made a curse. It was because the holiness of God had this intimidation about it and has yet. It's a dangerous thing. They were not to approach to the presence of God, but only Moses was. And to enforce this sense of the danger in the holiness of God and to teach the people that, that they were to be grave and sober about the matter of their sins and the putting away of their sins and turning to God in repentance and seeking uh, pardon through a sacrifice for sin. There were all the terrifying sights and sounds that accompanied the presence of God. Those sounds and sights that represented the power of God, the majesty of God, the, the dominion and the government of God so that he might call all his creatures to accountability before him. And so we have the uh, description uh, set out for us when the morning dawned in verse 16, thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud upon the mount, the voice of the trumpet, that blasted very loud, 
so that the people were trembling in the camp. They were frightened before this holiness of God. And well might we all be frightened before the holiness of God. Remember at what a price. Our approach with a good conscience and with joy of heart was 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 purchased. It was with the purchase price of the blood of the eternal Son of God that we are able with a good conscience to approach into the presence of a holy God in prayer and in worship. And Moses brought the people up and they stood there, verse 17, to meet with God. They were at the nether part, at the lower part of the mount, at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was smoking because God had descended on it in fire, no doubt in this cloud and the pillar that had guided them through the wilderness. And the smoke was ascending like the smoke of a great belching furnace with the clouds, with the, with the red and the, and, and the gray and the black and the clouds, and the whole mountain was shaking with an earthquake. And the, vo- the voice of the trumpet continued to sound louder and louder. And God answered Moses with a voice. The people heard the voice of God. And no doubt they trembled. Do you remember how Moses trembled? before the burning bush, the fright that he had, how much more when he went up into this this phenomena that God brought forth in his creation to to display and to to symbolize his holy and majestic and powerful presence. And then God sent Moses back down to the people to curb their folly. Here, tells, here we're told something further about what it means to approach into God's presence and worship. You see, in verse 21, God begins to give this direction to Moses, and Moses doesn't understand it. And Moses says, as if the Lord did not understand, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, verse 23, because you've already told us not to come up, and you've set bounds around the mountain to sanctify it. And the people have prepared themselves for three days. And what God is saying to Moses is, Oh, there's such folly in the heart of man. Man is so poor a student. Man is so, so, so poor a learner. The things that God speaks, the lessons he teaches, they just pass in one ear and out the other. Because... The people, though they've been given this command and this instruction and guidance, they're not going to heed it. It's in their heart to do otherwise. They're going to act in this incurable folly that possesses the human heart. You know how in the book of Proverbs we war- we're warned that, that the child that is born into the world has folly bound up in his heart. And it's the rod of correction, it's dis- discipline, it's guidance. It's the constant labor of the parents correcting the, the, the iniquity and the folly in the heart that will drive the folly out. It's native to the human heart. It's our original, inborn, innate sin. And there's no amount of warning. There's no amount of instruction that will cure it unless 
the Lord gives his gracious blessing in converting the sinner. God speaks here to Moses about a rebellious people. Remember how they're described? A rebellious, a stiff-necked people? People who will not bend to the will of God. People of uncircumcised heart. And what folly there is that we often bring to the worship of God. What folly we bring to our prayers and the things we ask for in the conception that we have of God in the things that we ask for and in the things we think we need and in the things we say to him in worship. And do we think that he is delighted by all the kinds of worship that are brought to him across the face of this earth in all the multiplicity of religions, and all the, the, the actions that are brought to God in worship. Is God pleased with these? What folly there is in our hearts. Have we heeded these lessons in God's Word about how to approach Him? That we're to approach Him not in the folly of our hearts, but we're to, to approach Him with hearts that are subdued, Hearts that have profited from the discipline of his teaching, the rod of his correction. Hearts that are sobered by the reflection that this God is a holy God who hates iniquity, who hates our iniquities, and into whose friendship we have been brought, and into whose acceptance we have been brought through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his terrible sufferings. But you know, in the epistle to the Hebrews, in the chapter that we read, chapter 12 of the epistle to the Hebrews, we are warned that there is a yet greater revelation that is given to us than that that was given in, in, uh, in uh, the person of Moses. And uh, through the... Uh, the uh, uh, revelation that was given by God at Mount Sinai. And when we are told repeatedly in the epistle to the Hebrews uh, that there is a greater revelation and a clearer understanding of, uh, of God and of the way of approach to him now, as it's revealed to us now through the blood of Jesus, this is declared to us in the epistle to the Hebrews not to tone down the holy character of God or the seriousness of worshiping him or the need for, for sobriety and preparation and approaching into his presence, nor to tone down the notion of God as consuming fire, but it is rather to heighten it, to tell us that our accountability is greater because things are set out for us yet more clearly. And now... There, this clarity is, is so enhanced, we are told not of approaching God through the blood of bulls and of goats, but through the blood of the eternal Son of God come down from heaven to offer himself a sacrifice without spot unto God. In Hebrews chapter 10, We read uh, at verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye 
Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If it was a fearful thing to stand at the foot of the mountain at Sinai and to have God speaking of breaking forth that people should perish for their unholiness and for their spiritual rashness and, and, and recklessness. How much graver a thing it is to come to God and then in the matter of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, the blood of the covenant, to regard it as an unholy thing, to do despite unto the spirit of grace. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, and at verse 25, there's the warning, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not accountability, answerability, who refused him that spake on the earth, that is, God speaking at Mount Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, speaking now about an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If it was a fearful thing to stand at the foot of the mountain at Sinai and to have God speaking of breaking forth that people should perish for their unholiness and for their spiritual rashness and, and, and recklessness. How much graver a thing it is to come to God and then in the matter of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, the blood of the covenant, to regard it as an unholy thing, to do despite unto the spirit of grace. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, and at verse 25, there's the warning, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not accountability, answerability, who refused him that spake on the earth, that is, God speaking at Mount Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, speaking now about the new covenant. And speaking about the kingdom that we receive, a kingdom uh, not of this world, a kingdom, uh, 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 that house not made with hands, uh, a kingdom not of things that are made, but a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that kingdom, verse 28 of Hebrews 12, when we receive it, we receive it to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and the account there about Mount Sinai and the receiving of the law, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, there's a there is a there's an even greater necessity that we should give heed to what
Christ has told us about the holiness of God, about the, the seriousness of approaching into his presence, and about the care with which we are to worship, adore, praise, bless, thank, and pray unto him. Now in Hebrews chapter 12 we have this finally that the writer there makes a contrast between the approach to Mount Sinai and the approach to Mount Zion. You see how he puts it in Hebrews 12:18. For you're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and so on. But, verse 22, you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God and so on. Now the contrast as we just seen is not between God in the one case is holy and and, uh, and it is awesome to approach into his presence and in the other case he isn't he, he does not make many demands upon us and it is no no solemn thing to approach into his presence and we deal not now with a God who is a consuming fire a jealous God a God who weighs the heart and the actions of men but rather the difference is this that thanks to the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ we come with boldness into the very presence of God in heaven whenever we pray and whenever we worship yes we come to the presence of a holy God a God who is a consuming fire a God before whom we must come with contrition and with reverence and godly fear we must serve him but we come with a clean conscience and we come with joy. We even contemplate the judgment day with joy. Marvelous to speak of. We come because of the perfect law-keeping of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come because of the sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are invited to come into the presence of God. And God invites sinners to come into his presence through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ trusting in the mediation and priesthood of this all-sufficient Savior and to come into his presence and to rejoice in the presence of this holy God, to worship him, to bow down before him, but to enter in to the bliss, into the blessedness, into the gladness of communing with this holy God because there's boldness to enter into the holy of holies it's put this way in hebrews chapter 10 before the writer speaks about 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 uh it's being a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god he speaks about in verse 19 the boldness that we have to enter into the holiest by the blood of jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Curses dissolved. Curse against our sins. The curse against our iniquity and against our unholiness. It's dissolved in the blood of Christ. 
The wrath of God is exhausted in the death of the Lord Jesus. In the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, there is the turning away of the wrath of God so that there is no more wrath against the sins of his people. And if you are in Christ, that wrath is done away. There is righteousness and acceptance in the presence of this holy God. And that's how we approach this holy God. With reverence for his holiness, loving his holiness, trembling with wonder and amazement, trembling with gladness of heart, because our sins and iniquities he will remember no more, serving him with reverence and with godly fear, coming with contrition of sin, turning away from sin to serve him. This is the fear of the Lord throughout all the scriptures. Fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord in the worship of his name. Amen. Let us pray together. Our gracious God and Savior, look at mercy upon us through the mediation and intercession of our Savior, Jesus Christ. O Lord, give us grace to serve thee with reverence and with godly fear. Give us grace to come into thy presence, to offer to thee day by day and week by week that worship which is due unto thy name, that we might, O Lord, come before thee with that sobriety and with that delight in thyself and in thy truth, which is faithful to thy word. Hear us, O Lord. Give us help in these things. Pardon our many sins. Take away the folly of our hearts. Take away from us, O Lord, all that, even in our worship of this night, which is displeasing to thee. For we ask it with the pardon of our many sins, in Jesus' name. Amen.